Well, Memorial Day is tomorrow, and I trust that you'll take time to honor those who have sacrificed their life for our freedom. That's on Monday. Today is another special day that we should also remember. Today is Pentecost Sunday, when we celebrate the birth of the church. Now, birthdays are a pretty big deal, and some birthdays are a bigger deal than others, uh, like first birthdays, for instance. We've been to um, uh, Ransom's first birthday and Reagan's first birthday as, as grandchildren in our lives, but we also, too, remember uh, celebrating that milestone uh, in our family as well with our kids. Uh, there's some interesting birthdays we've had. For instance, Anthony. On, uh, on the left side, you can see what actually happened. <laughs> we had it outside, and he was supposed to eat his cake. Well, the cake scared him. He didn't like it. He didn't want to eat it at all. It had nothing to do with that cake. But then I think it was, a, I don't know how much later, later the, I don't know. Anyway, another moment then when he had the cake a little later on, on the right side, he enjoyed it. He liked it. And you can see by the lower picture there on the right, he's got a good old goatee of chocolate all over his face. Also then, too, we celebrated with Jameson and he, when he turned one. And you can see that they're in a pool. Hopefully you can see that. One of those little kiddie pools. There's no water in there. Just a plate of ice cream and cake and their diapers. And so they just went at it. <laughs> we contained the mess in there. So, yeah, that's how we celebrated Jameson's first birthday. And if you look closely, you guys probably see some people you recognize in there. Uh, Mark Perky's in the back. I think he's eating his cake at the table, and his family is there as well, too. And then, uh, of course, uh, we celebrated Zach's birthday, his first birthday. Wasn't anything too special, and it's the next slide there, John. There you go. The, in his seat, ready to go, all ready, and everything's ready, you know, and yeah, all the kids ready. But uh, yeah, Zach was uh, a good one to uh, celebrate his first birthday. And then uh, one of our daughters, we also celebrated as well. Some of you remember Brianna and her first, first birthday. Uh, we uh, had it at our house, and some of you came over, and uh, you, you gathered with us. And some people you, you probably recognize up there with the Zins over on the side there with their little kids. And then, of course, with the Frentress family and their little kids. So we tried to get pictures of people when they came over with Brianna on their first birthday. And of course, uh, she was the kind that would like to smile a lot and grin for the camera, and she would do that, as you see in the middle picture. First birthdays, first year birthdays, are it's something that's celebrated, milestone. People want to celebrate those things. Um, and, you know, they're a big deal. And yet, for some reason, though, many of us just seem to blow right past the actual birth of the church. Maybe you haven't noticed before, but Pentecost Sunday is a pretty special day. And, and sure, we, we all know about the birth of Jesus at Christmas, and we're all pretty familiar with His resurrection at Easter, I trust. But how many of us know that the church itself was born on Pentecost Sunday? And how, how many of us celebrate that? I mean, it's not something you go buy a cake for and you sing happy birthday to the church, but uh, how have we celebrated that before? Well, the story begins in the first chapter of the book of Acts. And uh, here we see the disciples gathered together, minus Judas, of course, and uh, Jesus is with them giving some final instructions. He tells them to wait for 
power from on high to come to them, and then the, the, they will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Then he also tells them that because of this, they will be his witnesses and testify about him to the very ends of the earth. And then he ascends out of their sight, up in the air. Listen to how Luke tells this in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And you can look that up in, uh, in your Bibles there. It's kind of long to put it up on the screen. But uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So after Jesus ascends, the disciples are caught, staring up into the air, looking, going, that was amazing. I mean, I would keep on staring, thinking, is he coming back? Where is he going? Can I still see him? It's kind of like that balloon that gets left, you know, flies up into the air, and you watch it until you can't see it anymore. I imagine the disciples were doing that type of thing and watching how, far, how long they could see him. And, but, uh, but essentially, though, uh, all that's going on. And uh, as they look up in the heavens, an angel who essentially tells them, you got to get going. There's nothing to see here. Move on. You know, get, get moving on with what Jesus has told you. And so they all head back to Jerusalem and around 120 of them are gathered together. Now, at this time, Peter leads the group to replace Judas, and Matthias is chosen as the twelfth apostle. And all of this is the backdrop of what is about to happen next, which is an absolute one-of-a-kind event in human history that forever changed the world. And this event is the birth of the church, which we recognize annually in the celebration of Pentecost. And recognize it, we probably haven't recognized it enough here at Happy Valley as well, too. Let me give you a little info on, on Pentecost because it's so amazing. The day of Pentecost was an annual feast that followed the Feast of First Fruits by a week of weeks. That's seven weeks or 49 days, if you're following along with that, which was also called the Feast of Weeks. And the day of Pentecost, or the Festival of Harvest, was a festival of thanksgiving for the harvested crops and was held 50 days after Passover, pente, the Greek word meaning 50. It was one of three major annual festivals in this situation. People would come to these festivals and all, from all over. Now, Jesus was crucified at Passover time, and he ascended 40 days after his resurrection. As we're going to see in a moment, the Holy Spirit came 50 days after the resurrection. So 10 days after the ascension, Jesus' ascension, 
And Jews of many nations gathered in Jerusalem for the festival of harvest. So everything is set here for this birth of the church. And it resulted in this worldwide harvest of new believers, the first converts to Christianity. Perfect timing, perfect plan, perfect placement. Everything's in line for this to happen. And that's what we see here. So in Pentecost, the first thing and foremost we see at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, which we're going to be landing in today, Acts chapter 2, is that the church was created by God. The church was created by God. In Acts chapter 2, the first four verses, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw, that, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Wow. This is amazing, amazing stuff. This is a fulfillment of John the Baptist's words about the Holy Spirit's baptizing with, with fire. And, and of the prophet Joel's words about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as well. And why tongues of fire? Tongues of fire on this. Tongues symbolize speech and the communication of the good news, of course. And the fire, fire symbolizes God's purifying presence, which burns away the undesirable elements of our life. and sets our heart on fire to ignite the lives of others around us. And you also recall, too, on Mount Sinai, God confirmed the validity of the Old Testament law with fire from heaven. At Pentecost, God confirmed the validity of the Holy Spirit's ministry by sending fire as well. Now, Mount, Mount Sinai, fire came down on one place, and at Pentecost, fire came down on many believers, symbolizing that God's presence is available to all who believe in Him. As I said before, the church being born is a big deal. We wouldn't be here like this if it didn't happen. The formation of the church was, one, was, was on God's mind from the very beginning of time. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus first talks about the church and He says, Not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. He says this before His death and resurrection, meaning He already knew what the ultimate plan was was. So starting a church wasn't something the apostles were mapping out and planning, uh, as if Peter called a meeting of the apostles and said to them, we're here today to talk about uh, whether or not we're going to start a church. Uh, and they discussed that for a while. And when James makes a motion that they start a church, John seconds the motion and they vote to start a church in Jerusalem. It's not kind of how it went. Um, of course it didn't. They were doing the last thing Jesus instructed them to do, which was to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And I don't know what that looked like. They were just sitting there twiddling their thumbs. Oh, okay, was that it? No, okay. Wait. Or whatever they were doing. But they are waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. When suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. And by the way, as a side note, God made His presence known to this group of believers in a spectacular way. You had the violent wind, you had the fire, and of course the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't it be great if God would reveal Himself to you in such a recognizable way? 
there would be no mistake. You knew God was speaking to you. You knew God was giving you direction. Here comes the fire from on high. We know what's happening here, and, and uh, the Holy Spirit leads you uh, miraculously in that way. Now, He might do something like that. He might, but we need to be careful in forcing our expectations on God. Remember Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, when he also needed a message from God. There was a great wind. There was an earthquake and then finally a fire. But God's message came in a gentle whisper. God may use dramatic methods to work in your life. Sure. Or He may speak in gentle whispers. The key thing is that we need to wait patiently and always listen. Always listen. Anyway, so Scripture tells us that this violent wind came from heaven. It came from God. God started the church, which means God created the church, and God brought the church into being, and it is His church, not ours. <laughs> it's His church. We are just a part of it, and it's essential for us to realize that. Now, there are many denominations. I mean, if you just here in Happy Valley, go on down the road. We got Happy Valley Baptist Church at the other end of the, the Happy Valley Bowl. We have the Foursquare Church on Sunnyside Road just past the 122nd down the road a bit. And across the street from there, you have the Lutheran Church, I think, as well, too. All different denominations. You've got also, too, the uh, Sunnyside Community Church down the, on uh, 212. And all the different denominations coming together, though, and serving the community and getting the gospel out. It's interesting how that all plays together, though, because there's, there are a lot of different ideas about how church should be done. A lot of ideas of how Scripture should be interpreted, and so that's when you come up with all these different denominations in that way. And, and when that happens, uh, uh, the, of course, interpretation of Scripture plays a, a pretty big role in each of these gatherings as well, too. But a lot of us have ideas about how to do church, just in general, like the music. Okay, well, instruments, should there be a piano? Where's the organ? Oh, drums? Mm, yeah. Should drums be there? Guitar? I don't know. Maybe just acoustic guitar? All these different things. Uh, you know, what kind of what kind of songs? What kind of music? Oh, just hymns. We just do, or no, we do the, the uh, more modern worship, um, and we don't have the lights in the, in the smoke or something like that here, uh, church here, but there's, there's stuff that goes on and, and makes those things happen because it appeals to the people who come, and they, they're used to that thing, that type of thing. Here at Happy Valley, you're used to a certain kind of worship method, and that's fine. And, and as churches do that, that's how they do worship. And it serves a group of people that come. And that's all right. That's all right. How long should, a, should singing go? There's some churches that do singing after song after song after song, and, and you're, you're going on for a long time. Other places, there's probably just one song, and you're good, and we're going to hear the message, and we're out of here. So there's, you know, what is worship? What does that look like? In your mind, you've got different ideas of what that looks like and what your expectations are of that. Preaching, should it be topical? Should we be doing top? Should we be going by book by book in the Bible? I mean, uh, there's a lot of different ways of doing that as well, too. Scripture, what scripture should we use? NIV, 
King James Version only, please. Or do we, uh, you know, the message, because it's more modern and people will be able to understand a little bit of the paraphrase of, of God's Word. There's a lot of different ways of doing worship, coming together, preaching God's Word, doing church, a lot of different ways. But Proverbs 19.21 reminds us this, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. We might have an idea and a plan what we're going to do, but you know, the Holy Spirit's going to come in and the Holy Spirit's going to do His thing. <laughs> and that's what we need to realize. His purpose will prevail. The church was God's idea from the beginning. The church is the bride of Christ. And there's no other plan or purpose of God for how we are to share the good news of Jesus with others. The church is that plan. And if we can't get our act together, play nice within the church, play nice with other churches, then the, then the sharing of the good news is hindered. We need to realize that as well, too. It's God's church, not ours. For some churches, the temptation has been to look at what the world is doing and then try to get the church in step with the world. Uh, I don't know if I've ever read Scripture about that type of thing. Uh, I've always seen that we are to be set apart. <laughs> we are to be different. And not to be different just for different, for different sake, but be different because God has set us apart as holy. We are, we are Christians, Christ followers, and as Jesus walks and teaches us in His Word, we are to follow Him in what He says and how He does that. And so to have the world come into that, it just, we need to be on guard with that. I need to be on guard with that too, because there's a lot of things that could be done that would appeal to those around us, but I, I feel that we need to stick with what, of course, God's plan is in His Word, how we come together and what we do, and especially, of course, preaching of His Word as well. But uh, all those things come around sometimes, and, uh, but the church may never be the most popular institution in the world because it goes against popular culture. We're not going to be on someone's top list on, uh, in streaming <laughs> because we don't have the, probably the most popular things going on. But uh, it goes, again, it goes against that popular culture. It's not, we're, and definitely you're not a perfect institution because it's made up of imperfect people. <laughs> we're not going to be a perfect group. We're going to stumble along. But as we stumble along, we'll realize what went wrong, try to fix the next time, and do better. Do better. What God wants is for the church to stand for the truth, His truth, and to be unshakable in our presentation of the gospel. And here at Happy Valley, we will stand for God's truth and share it in love. I think it's one thing to stand for God's truth and not, you know, and, and not use love to share it. When that happens, we just wind up with Bible thumpers, basically. And, uh, and no one wants to be thumped by <laughs> Bible. No Bible thumping, no judging, just God's truth shared in love. And all we want to see is God's love change lives. The church belongs to God. It is His church and not ours. And secondly, we see that the mission of the church is to communicate the love of God to a lost and dying world. At Pentecost, the Spirit was given to empower the mission. The early church was filled in order to pour out. 
They were filled with power to proclaim the gospel. You follow along with me in Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 5. Let me read through that. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. And then he would go on and bring the first message of the church to those around him. The theme of Pentecost, believe it or not, is communication. Communication. It's really a shame that the whole idea of speaking in tongues has become such a controversial issue. There's a lot of things going on about that. And, you know, sometimes people come to the church and say, well, do I, and I've, in the past, have had someone come to the church and say, um, okay, so is there like speaking in tongues or prayer language going on? Because I kind of have that. Is, you know, is that okay? <laughs> I looked at him and I said, that's okay. Go ahead. You know, if you're going to stand up and, and start speaking in tongues and utterances that we don't understand, there better be someone in here that can interpret so we can understand what's going on, so we can be equipped and we can understand what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. So I said, so, if, you know, you'll understand that. And I said, but yeah, if you have a prayer language, okay. Yeah, that's between you and God. So those things happen. And, you know, Speaking in tongues has been kind of twisted around and thrown out there as a, a, a huge thing. And, but uh, when you read about Pentecost, the truth is God gave the gift of tongues to the apostles for one purpose, to communicate and proclaim. In the section of text we just read, you realize there was clearly a communication problem in, in the room with people from so many various places and backgrounds. There were no interpreters. How is anybody going to figure out what is going on here as these people stand up and proclaim God's glory? But God empowered them all to hear the gospel in their own language. He gave the gift of tongues so the apostles and disciples could communicate and proclaim the gospel to everyone. This was an early sign of things to come for the church. The mission of the church is to communicate the gospel. Now, if God wants to give us a miracle to do that, then praise Him for it. Then great. Today, we're still translating the Scriptures into different languages, and we're trying to win converts from different countries and sending them back as missionaries to their own people. We must continue doing whatever we can to spread the good news. See, the moment you become a Christian, God commissions you to share this simple message 
with our little part of the world. You become a missionary. <laughs> How many of you have ever watched a sporting event? Uh, Super Bowl, possibly, uh, the Monday Night Football game, and then seen the giant sign this guy holds. Remember this guy? Back in like the 80s, late 70s, I think. He would always stand by in football games by the goalposts, and he'd hold up a big sign that said, John 3.16. And that's all he held up. This guy, his name is Rockin' Rollin' Stewart. It's responsible for that happening. Rockin', of course, is his nickname, but his, his name, Roland Stewart. His story appeared in People magazine years ago, and it's a fascinating story. Roland Stewart was an alcoholic. He met Jesus, accepted him as his savior, became a Christian, and God healed him of his alcoholism. And one day, the idea struck him that if he could just get into a major sporting event and put the, the word of God before the people, it would be seen by hundreds of thousands of people. So, for a number of years, Rock and Rollin' Stewart and his wife, they also call him, I think they called him Rainbow Man because of his wig as well. But uh, his wife, Margaret, and a friend named William James lived a very simple life. They averaged driving 55,000 miles a year in an old beat-up van, telling their story, and then using the money they collected to buy tickets for major sporting events to hang out a sheet saying John 3.16. Sadly, though, uh, Roland Stewart's story doesn't end very well. If you've looked him up, or you're maybe looking up now, um, with increasing no notoriety, uh, Roland's spiritual life deteriorated, and he is actually now in prison serving a life sentence. But that still tells us, though, that God has the capacity to use even the most flawed vessels to accomplish that which is good. Um, just take a look at, all, uh, at some of those Old Testament men and women that God used, <laughs> and you'll understand. God uses willing people, people who, who want to do God's will, but, you know, their background might say otherwise or whatever. It, all those things to say, though, that God uses broken vessels to be able to get His message across. Do you ever wonder how many tens of thousands have turned to read what uh, John 3.16 says just because of what this rainbow guy did, holding up that sign? I remember seeing that sign a lot before I was a Christian. I thought, that guy, there's that guy again, <laughs> rainbow hair and the sign. What, what is that John? And I didn't know. What is that John 3.16 thing? And had no idea what that meant. But all that to say is that God can use anyone to be able to get across his message. Now, it might not be your thing to live a frugal life, drive around in an RV, and attend as many sporting events as you can just to share a single Bible verse, but that's not the point. The point is that when you and I are saved, then we are commanded to share the good news with others. This is called the Great Commission, and you can read about it at the end of the Gospel of Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Let me read that to you, and you can follow along. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are to go. We are to go. Whether it is next door or to another country, we are to go and make disciples. It's not an option. It's a command. 
to all who call Jesus Lord. And we are not all evangelists in the formal sense, but we have all received gifts that we can use to help fulfill the Great Commission. God has instilled in you giftedness and talents, but also spiritual gifts as well, too, to be able to further along God's message, the good news. Go, make, and teach disciples is what has been told to us. So as we obey, we have comfort in the knowledge that Jesus is always with us as we go and we make and we teach disciples. That's what Jesus said. And that's what the Spirit came to empower us to do as well. Communicate the love of God to a lost and dying world. Because that's the mission of the church. And then thirdly, the goal of the church is to establish a unique fellowship equipped for the mission of sharing the gospel. In Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 37, it says, When the people heard this, Peter's message, so this is after Peter just gave this whole message of who God is, who Jesus is, and, and how they can come to Him and receive Him as Savior. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Isn't it amazing to see these early Christians after they first hear the good news about Jesus? On the day of Pentecost, there are 3,000 new converts, and they suddenly share something that has never been shared before. They are the first fruits of the church. (laughs) And all of them know they are guilty and that they've crucified Jesus with their sins, but now they have repented of their sins. They have been baptized. They've been redeemed, and they've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then suddenly, they are part of a new family. They're freed from a life of slavery and darkness. And as Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he says, For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And this, and this new community was nothing like what the world had to offer. This community was rooted in love. It was rooted in generosity empowered by the Holy Spirit to testify all the way to the very ends of the earth. No wonder the church saw exponential growth in the beginning. All were devoted to one another, to the apostles' teaching, to prayer and communion, as it says in Acts chapter 2, the end of Acts chapter 2. But we are all called to be, a diff- to be different people in a different culture. An oasis in the midst of the desert, a shade tree on a summer day, a cup of cool water when you're thirsty, a place to come and know you won't be rejected, that you'll be accepted, loved, brothers and sisters, the family of God, empowered by God for eternal life together. The world changed after Pentecost because of the church's influence on that world, and it ought to be 
the same today. Pentecost happened back then, but it still goes on. The church continues on, and God's message continues on. This all should continue on the same today as well. As the Holy Spirit empowers you to go out and let others know what God has done for you. We need to be all about that. So on Monday, we'll remember those who gave their lives in service to our country. Today, we celebrate the birth of the church at Pentecost. Today, we celebrate God's plan to share the good news of Jesus. And yes, the gospel is for everyone. It's for the whole world. It's for you. Jesus, as I've said many times before, after, after the message, after the service, Jesus loves you. <laughs> Jesus loves you. He gave His life for you. So if you're lonely, if you're tired or weary, if you've been taken advantage of, beaten up or abused, if you tried everything else and you're out of, a, out of options, maybe today is a good day for you to consider a rebirth. Maybe today is the day you give your life over to Jesus and invite Him to take control. That's what being born again is all about. After Peter's powerful, spirit-filled message, the people were deeply moved, and they asked this question, what should we do? What should we do? This is the basic question we must ask. It's not enough to be sorry for our sins. It's not enough to hear the message and go, that was nice. It's not enough for that. We need to repent. We need to ask God to forgive us and then live like forgiven people. So has God spoken to you through His Word today in some way, some form, some, some fashion? God reminding you of, of the price that was paid for, for you and your way to, to get to heaven? Jesus Christ preparing that way? Has the Holy Spirit been speaking to your heart about the need to receive Him as Savior? Receive Jesus as Savior? Has the Holy Spirit been tapping you on the shoulder saying, you've received Jesus as Savior, but are you living in Him? Are you living in His ways? Are, do you have Him as first place in your life? And all these questions only you can answer. No one else can for you. But if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in such a way, then the question needs to come out, what should we do? <laughs> what should we do then? And the answer is to go to Him in prayer. Pray. Ask God to forgive. Ask God to equip you. Ask God to help you be the one that can bring His message to others around you. You're only a prayer away. Whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about, if God has spoken to you through His Word today or whatever, um, like Peter's audience, we should ask God, of course, what should we do, but then obey. Obey to whatever the answer is that God gives you. If you ask the question, be ready for an answer from God. He will give it. We just need to spend time in prayer with Him. Let's do that right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would be with each one of us today. And Lord, as you spoke to us about the birth of the church, it was just amazing. 
all that was put into place, everything that happened, the timing of it and everything, all the people that were there, to be able to hear the message. And Lord, today it isn't any different. You bring people to our church, you bring people to other churches as well too, on such a day to where they need to hear your, your message of good news. So Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today that, that needs to give over their life to you, and receive you as Savior. I pray that they would walk in obedience in that, that they would pray to you, acknowledging that they are a sinner and acknowledging what you've done on the cross, Jesus, dying on that cross and being placed in the tomb dead. But then as we celebrated on Easter, the tomb is empty and you are preparing a place in heaven for us. You've provided a way for that. Lord, if there's someone here today that has been following you, but maybe not as well, maybe there's been a lot of different things in the world that has pressed in on us. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to realize that if you've been placed back a few notches from first place, that we need to get you back up there first place in our life. Lord, I pray that you would acknowledge that in our lives as well, and that we would respond in obedience with that. Yeah, Lord, I guess I haven't been doing uh, what I said I would do. Or yes, Lord, you need to be, as I call you Lord, you need to be Lord of my life. <laughs> so would you please be first place in my life again? Lord, I pray that you would just continue to work in people's lives here today. Those who are online joining us today as well too, that you just continue to remind each one of us no matter what we do, we can't be separated from your love. You love us dearly. And so, Lord, I pray that as we take time to, to, to just respond to that question, respond and give that question, what should we do, and, and listen to what you have for us. Help us to respond in obedience to what you have for us in that question. And thank you, Lord, for meeting us here today and reminding us of how much you love us and that you want the best for us. We love you, Lord, so very much. In your name we pray. Amen.